Welcome to the Athens Frontline, a podcast presented by the Red and Black that covers topics in health and science. I'm your host, Alondra Rocha, and we're on a mission to answer pressing questions to inform listeners about important health topics, tips, and news at a local and national level. Support for this podcast is provided by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership. For more information, visit grady.uga.edu slash Cox Institute. Dr. Jeff Hogan is a professor of infectious diseases at the Animal Health Research Center at UGA. Before joining UGA 13 years ago, Dr. Hogan was involved in the development of both the Ebola and SARS coronavirus vaccines. These days, he focuses on the pox viruses, including monkeypox, but also influenza and COVID-19. Hello, Dr. Hogan, how are you doing? Doing well, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thank you for coming on. Um, so let's get started with the basics. Um, what is monkeypox? It's a great question. I just kind of start here by saying, you know, let's define the term because that's that's something that gets thrown around, you know, monkeypox. Well, what are we really talking about? Are we talking about the disease or are we talking about the pathogen that causes the disease? And kind of an example, I think perfect example would be COVID-19. We refer to it commonly as SARS-CoV-2 in the laboratory. So that's the actual pathogen itself versus the disease that it's caused. In the case of monkeypox, it seems like that term's used interchangeably where, you know, someone says, oh, monkeypox. Well, that could be, you know, how do I disinfect linens after I've recovered from monkeypox infection, monkeypox being the disease. So you would treat your linens to kill the live virus, for example, right? You know, very hot water, bleach, detergent, things like that. So separating the pathogen itself from the disease, I think is a really good place to start. So in terms of the, the virus itself, this is a very, very large virus. Not only in terms of physical size, but also in terms of the size of the genome. And the genome is really the, the set of instructions, the genetic material that the virus carries with it. And that's the instruction set that it uses to replicate with, right? So if you compare that to SARS-CoV-2, the genome's relatively small, the virus is relatively small. That is for SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 compared to pox viruses. Very large genome, a lot of genetic material, as well as a, a very large physical presence as well. Monkeypox, its genome is comprised of large strands of DNA in contrast with COVID-2, which is comprised of RNA. And in my opinion, and again, this is just my opinion, it's one of the most efficient machines, if you want to call a virus a machine. It possesses almost everything that it needs to replicate, almost all of the equipment, if you will. But it's missing a few components. I, I, I would say the, a good analogy would be there's a car sitting in the parking lot, the keys are in it, it looks like it's ready to go, but it's missing the steering wheel. Well. You can't drive it until you have a steering wheel. So pox virus is kind of like that. When it interacts with a cell and infects the cell, it finds the steering wheel that allows it to replicate. So it's almost there. It's, it's at the point where it can actually start its own replication cycle without entering a cell, but it can't complete that until it gets the other components. So a very, very old, very, very complicated virus. Again, very large virus. And when you say a large virus, you uh, compared to 
COVID-19. That's a small virus. Mm -hmm. That's that's correct. And in fact, these pox viruses are so large, if you've got an appropriate light microscope, you can actually see them. You can visualize the virions themselves, almost the size of some bacteria. Um, so it is very large physically in comparison to um, you know, something like influenza or SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19. Okay. And um, where does the monkeypox come from, and how long has it been around? So we think that monkeypox originates from Africa. There's a lot of data to support that. Of course, that doesn't mean, as you can tell now, that it's not going to circulate. And there is some evidence that it has been circulating in the United States before the current outbreak was first reported. But if you go back in time and look, for sure, monkeypox has probably been infecting non-human primates in Africa for hundreds, maybe even a thousand years. When you go back and, and look at what slim amount of evidence that, that we can find. But it was first reported in the late 1950s. I believe it was 1958. It was a group of non-human primates that was imported into um, Copenhagen, Denmark. Um, and the, the disease was noted um, there. So that was the first report of it. And then, of course, as with most things, we've had outbreaks that have sporadically occurred ever since then. Once you know what to look for, you know what to look for, right? Um, if you don't know what the pathogen is, for example, when COVID-19 or, or the current outbreak with SARS coronavirus happened, um, we kind of had an idea because of the first outbreak in 2003. But in 2003, we didn't know what we were looking for either. So again, probably been circulating in Africa for you know a long time, hundreds to thousands of years, has spread around the world. Um, whether it's become endemic or not in other places, it's unclear. It does seem to be headed that way in the United States, at least. We have quite a few cases. I believe it's over 15,000, maybe even upwards of 18,000 cases now have been reported. So, And you mentioned that um, the pox virus, monkeypox, has spread in the past before, so this is not the first time. That is correct. And what, what's been reported, what's been found, is that there are really two main clades or two main versions of monkeypox. Um, one's a West Af- called a West African strain or clade. Um, the other is from the Congo Basin. And those vary not only genetically, that is in the set of instructions that the virus uses to replicate and the genes and proteins that, um, that it carries with it, but also in the ease at transmission um, and also the disease manifestation itself. So it appears that the West African strain, and I believe that's the one which is really associated with the current outbreak that we're talking about, um, the disease is less severe. It's more mild disease, which is a good thing. I mean, it still causes plenty of disease, suffering, Um, but it's less so than Congo Basin. So I guess if you had to look at it as fortunate, which one would if you had to pick, I think this would be the, the better one, if, if you will, to pick. Um, yeah. Um, and once you get the disease, how long does it last? 
Ah, so pox viruses are different from a lot of other viruses, influenza, RSV, um, you know, COVID-2, COVID-19, in that the disease itself can present relatively quickly, let's say three to four days, or it can take up to 18 days for you to begin to, you know, feel bad, um, lesions to appear. So it's quite broad in, in that sense. And that lends itself to, if you're looking at it from a viral standpoint, that's great from a viral standpoint because it has lots of time to spread for transmission to occur. If you don't feel bad, you don't know you're infected, but you still may be able to spread, right? So it's less acute. It takes a little bit longer for the symptoms and, and things like that to develop. So during the course of the uh, of the disease, you can't spread it during the whole time. Oh no, no, you can, you can, you may be infected, and you could possibly spread it, but you don't even know it. You don't feel bad. You don't have any lesions that you can see, and that's really one thing that sets this disease apart. This you know pathogen apart from a lot of other ones. There there are some that fall into this category, but it's more of a visual disease, right? You can actually see if someone's infected. This was a major reason that smallpox was able to be eradicated was, number one, you could tell if someone had already been infected with smallpox because of scarring from the lesions, right? So you could visibly see, and we, we knew for, we've known for hundreds of years, uh, maybe even a thousand years, that once a person's been infected, they can't be reinfected. So immunity's lifelong unlike other infections. This one you can visibly see. But again, that takes a length of time. It could be four days, it could be a week, it could be two weeks before a person feels bad or a lesion appears. And during that time, for sure, transmission can occur. Okay, so just to clarify, you can get, uh, you can spread the disease at any moment when you have it before or after the lesions uh, go away. It'll take a, a bit of a lead time, say three or four days, for the virus to infect some cells, begin to replicate, multiply, and that exponential um, replication is what you know provides the inoculum for the next person right so if you get a small relatively small dose um, when you're infected um, let's say a few virus particles well it may take 10 to 14 days for you to see any evidence of the infection whereas if you were infected with a quite large dose you might be infectious to someone else relatively quickly okay. so and so right now, who um, who's currently most at risk? And, you know, with such a limited supply of vaccines, who should consider getting one? So in terms of risk, I mean, it, it's been widely reported. A lot of epidemiological data is out there. Um, men that have sex with men is the predominant group that's displaying with infection currently. But... I would warn people that it's not limited to that social circle or that group of individuals. Any human of any age can be infected if they've not been vaccinated or they weren't infected with smallpox before it was eradicated. Um, so yeah, it, anyone, it can certainly move outside of that group of individuals, but that is the group of individuals that does seem to be the most affected right now. And uh, do you think that it, another group or demographic might get um, affected? 
it is possible. I know there have been reports of children that have been infected. And again, I think this gets to sort of the route of transmission can either be, it's typically intimate, you know, direct skin on skin contact. Um, but aerosol droplet transmission can occur as well. Um, so, you know, that is possible. It's not as common, not nearly as common. It's not like measles or influenza or something like that, where measles is a great example. Um, not take side note, but with measles, um, if one person walked into the room that we're in that was infected with measles and we had 100 people in this room and none of them were vaccinated, all 99 of the other people would have, or 100 people, would be infected. They, we would all get infected. That's not the case with monkeypox. The aerosol spread is not nearly as efficient, and that's because of the biology of the pathogen itself. It's primarily that direct contact or contact with, you know, soiled linens, for example, um, clothing, things like that. So, for sure, you know, make sure to wash your hands and and use you know, you know, good practices. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And with the limited supply of vaccines, who should uh, consider getting one? So if you're in that demographic, that group of individuals, for sure, um, you should consider it. If you haven't already, you know, contracted the the pathogen or, or monkeypox virus itself, um, of course people like myself that work in the laboratory with these viruses for sure need to be vaccinated there the situation is we know that we're working with the pathogen so if there's a vaccine um, I strongly encourage anyone that I, I get vaccinated strongly encourage anyone that works with it to get vaccinated as well just in case right it's a pre preventative measure right um, yeah so and how does the vaccine work? Um, you know, is it kind of like the COVID vaccine or is it completely different? It's very, that's a great question. It's a very, very different um, vaccine. So the vaccine, one of the vaccines, there are two vaccines. One's ACAM uh, 2000, and that was a derivative of the original um, vaccine, um, Drivax, that was produced in the 50s, all throughout the 50s, and up until the time smallpox was eradicated. Um, and that is, it's a live attenuated vaccine. Both of these vaccines are live attenuated. That means that they're alive. When you're vaccinated, you are actually infected with the pathogen itself. But the pathogen, by attenuation, I mean, it's been weakened. So it's been worked with in the lab and manipulated in a way where you've taken some of the virulence or the disease-causing properties out of it, and there are various ways to do this, but you take those out of it and give it just enough ability to replicate to induce a very robust immune response, um, as opposed to the COVID-2 or, or COVID-19 vaccines, which are mRNA-based, so they're more of a synthetic-based vaccine. So they're not actually a, a pathogen or organism themselves. So with these live attenuated vaccines, your body doesn't know the difference between being infected with a you know, very virulent or pathogenic virus versus one that's been weakened it attacks it in the same way. And those are usually, these live attenuated vaccines are usually very, very good at inducing a long-lived immune response that is protective. 
as opposed to the subunit or synthetic type vaccines that you know use for uh, influenza and COVID-19. And with with the vaccine containing the live virus, a weakened live virus, uh, who should reconsider getting getting the vaccine? That's another good question. So anyone that's immunocompromised, um, they need to definitely reconsider or consider it very carefully, especially in concert with a medical professional physician. Um, because if you're, you know, for example, on um, high dose corticosteroids, um, you have an autoimmune disorder, um, you're HIV positive, um, and your immune system is suppressed, any of those situations, immunosuppressive drugs in transplant patients, this could be a very bad thing because, again, you are actually infected with a, a live pathogen, which in the end gives you the protection that you want or that you need. But in that individual's case, the virus may not be weakened enough to not cause disease. It may actually cause disease in those individuals. So some caution is definitely advisable. Okay. So um, so people with a weaker immune system should yeah, definitely in, consult in general, with their doctors. Um, pregnant um, persons um, as well as infants, small children, um, are not good candidates for these, these particular vaccines. Okay. Um, and so with the limited supply of vaccines, what are they doing to stretch out the supply? That's a, another good question. So um, to stretch out the supply, they're using or they're trying to. So they're trying to implement a dose sparing strategy. And what that is, like, well, the current strategy with uh, these two vaccines is they are trying to they're going to examine whether a fifth of the dose is comparable in terms of protection to the standard dose. So in other words, take one dose, give it to five individuals and see if they are protected or not. So obviously that allows you, if you have 100,000 doses of vaccine, um, normally that would help 100,000 people. Now you could potentially, if it works, treat or vaccinate 500,000 people. So time will tell whether that's going to provide enough protection or not. But there has been no clinical trials on dose sparing for the monkeypox vaccine? Not for the dose sparing. Okay. No, they're, they're actually literally underway right now. Okay. Um, and so, and, you know, since we're in college uh, here at UGA, um, what precautions can we, you know, as college students do to protect ourselves? So I think it's important to stress the, the need for taking care of yourself, paying attention to when you don't feel well. Are you sick? Um, do you see any lesions? So, you know, talking about monkeypox, do you happen to see a lesion on the skin? Um, pay attention to the people around you. Do you notice they're not feeling well? Um, I think it's also important to know the social circle that you're in. If you're going to initiate intimate contact, it doesn't matter male, female, and this is a good practice for anyone. You know, know your know your partner. Um, you know, use protection, things like that. We know that this um, particular outbreak of disease, monkeypox, is spread very, very efficiently by sexual contact. So there are ways to help prevent that too. 
Um, and I guess overall, situational awareness is important, I think, for, for any college student, for anyone, but especially college students. Um, you know, as I mentioned, take care of yourself, know the people around you, pay attention to the things that are going on around you and the people around you as well. I mean, you may be able to actually help them and help yourself as well. Yeah, and just to clarify, I think we've seen some misinformation around this. Is monkeypox an STD? That's debatable. It is clearly transmitted by sexual contact, but it does not have to be. And that is an unusual situation. Um, We typically think of sexually transmitted diseases being spread only by sexual contact. And again, that's not the case with this one. I think technically it does meet the definition of an STD. Technically, I mean, again, it's a bit, for me, Personally, it's a bit of a semantic discussion. Um, at the end of the day, people are getting infected, and we need treatments and we need therapeutics for them, whether it's labeled an STD or not. Yeah, I think it's really important to highlight that you know it's it's mostly transmitted through intimate contact. It is. It is mostly transmitted that way, and again, it strictly does meet that definition. Well, Dr. Hogan, thank you so much for coming in today. Is there anything else that you didn't talk about you feel is important for our audience to know? One thing I'd, I'd remind everyone: this is interesting about this particular pathogen. We like to say there's a pox virus for everyone and everything from crocodiles to rabbits to humans and monkeys, of course. So they're out there and they've been out there for hundreds or thousands of years. So we'll develop a vaccine or a therapeutic, additional vaccines or therapeutics to treat. Well, I appreciate you coming in today, Dr. Hogan. Uh, Thank you so much uh, for sharing your expertise with us. Uh, Really, really appreciate it. Sure thing, happy to be here. Thank you for tuning in to the Athens Frontline podcast presented by the Red and Black. Make sure you tune back in next month for our October episode. In the meantime, check our health stories at redandblack.com health. Then check us out on social media at Red and Black. Stay safe and healthy. This is Alondra.